good morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 21. Romans 3, 21. We're going to get there. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you, God, and we praise you, God, for being God. God, we pray that you just have mercy on us, Father God, in the name of Jesus, just truly visit us, open up our eyes, open up our understanding, God, to allow us to truly just rest and trust in you, God. It's in your name that we live, it's in your name that we now pray, amen. Verse 21, I'll transition a little bit and start talking about our relationship with the law. And what the law has to do with our justification and how it is that we should look at the law. And we're going to open this up by taking some cues from this chapter of Romans. And we're going to read for a little bit. Starting in verse 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just in the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Now this is idea of the law and our relationship to the law is one of contention and, and, it, and it creates some confusion in church for a lot of Christians, especially when you get to encounter some of those friends groups who tell you your identity is in your skin color and you're the true Israel and there's these whole bunch of things you got to do. And even in the charismatic church world, when they try to convince you that you be more holy if you buy a $100 shawl just because it got little things on it and you put it over your head when you pray. And you got to buy these special horns if you really want to worship God. Making a profit out of the people of God. So we're going to wrestle with this for a little bit. And get an understanding of what it is our true and proper relationship with the law. And what we're going to start with is just showing this couple of things we're going to pick off. And we're going to go through each of them. But the opening of Paul in this statement is the big deal for me. Because it's going to reach to the conclusion and where it all comes by. He said, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest. And what he's saying is there is a true righteousness that God has. The righteousness that comes from God and it is now being displayed. And this display of righteousness happens apart from, or separate from anything having to do with the law. So this idea of justice, I said it before, we're going to get it because this is what I'm trying to get justification of being just before God and being righteous are one and the same thing and you cannot separate the two. 
That the idea of being just, that means we, we legally, we in right standing with God. Our position with God is good. In righteousness, the way that we act and the way that we live out our lives are not two separate things. They are both one and the same thing. And there's a true righteousness that comes from God. And he said, this is being manifested apart from the law. And we got to keep this in our mind. We're going to go over this and drive it in. It's the main point. And it says, 24, that we being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare that, I say, at this time, the righteousness of God, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. So God has this whole plan. To get the end at the beginning. God has this whole plan. And God's whole entire plan is to bring forth the righteousness that allows him to be just, meaning that he can do right, while at the same time, him being the justifier of many, of everybody who believe. So he wants to be right, while at the same time, make everybody else right. And he got this plan to do so. And the reason that's a dilemma, we talked about it before, because the wages of sin is death. Every time we sin, that first time, we're supposed to be cut off from God. The consequence is given. No chance of return. That's the way God set it up. So in order for him to be just, he has to punish sin. There has to be a standard for him to punish sin. But he set it up so that he can still be just while also justifying people. And that's his whole system. And he set this system up so that it can be done apart from the law. Now, if you pay close attention to what, what, what's being said in here. He did this. He said, through Christ being a propitiation for our sins. And we're going to get deeper into this in the, in the farther weeks to go. But just, just to take this little nugget, the idea of propitiation comes from the book of Leviticus. God set down a whole lot of laws and rules and standards on how the people can be redeemed and how they can get remission of sins. And those things were set down within the law given in Leviticus. But Paul picks up on this thing when he brings in this word propitiation. But he connects it to Christ apart from the law. So there's some way, somehow, that the deeds and the standards of the law, the things that God required in the law, are met and done through Christ that allows God to be just in both the justifier. And that's what we're going to try to understand. But let's track through this again. Just get this main point in our head that there is a justification. There is a righteousness that comes and it has nothing to do with the law. Verse 28 said, Paul, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by what? Faith without the deeds of the law. So outside of the deeds of the law, outside of the works of the law, a man is justified. Is he the God of the Jews only? God. Paul talking like the, the, the God do he operate just with the Jewish people is he their God only no nah, he's God also of the Gentiles seeing in verse 30 it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith do we then make void the law through faith God forbid yea we establish the law so we 
in the eyes of Paul, establish or we make sure we demonstrate the law through faith. But the main point I want to get through you now is there's an idea of justification that we can have that has nothing to do with the law. So when it talks about us being just, we're not talking about the law. The law is not necessary for us to be justified. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Start at verse. We'll start at verse 28. It said, And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. He's talking about Jesus. It's Paul giving testimony. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. And that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to the corruption, he said on this wise, I, give, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he said also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it not known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And this is Paul giving testimony to the people about Jesus and that Jesus was the true son of God. He was the Messiah, the fulfillment of the scriptures. And he makes this statement in conclusion. Since God raised up Christ from the dead, he is the son of God. And it was declared through his resurrection that he is the son of God. And with that being the case, through him is preached the forgiveness of sin. So there's remission that comes through Christ. And he said, through this man, through Jesus, you can be justified from things that you could not be justified from under the law of Moses. This is Paul's message. And when we drive this in, we're going to look at it a couple of different ways because we need to understand this to understand everything else. So there's things that you can be justified from through Christ Jesus that you cannot be justified from under the law of Moses. Because there's condemnation in the law of Moses. And all things are not forgiven under Moses' law. But in Christ Jesus, there is redemption and forgiveness that cannot be applied under the law of Moses. So when we seek true justification, if you seek it through the law, you are limited in what you can gain. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Just take to give you an example. Like I said, we're going to build through this. Just show you. Now, under the law of Moses, if a woman and a man get caught in adultery, they both supposed to be dragged out in stone. That's the end of it. That's what Moses set up. Get caught in adultery. It only takes two witnesses to testify. They bring you out and they stone you. That's the end. I ain't writing no apology letter. I ain't no, you know what I'm saying, me and my husband, we got an agreement. 
That's it. There is no return from that. This is the law of Moses. But through Christ, there is mercy. And there's an opportunity to be made right and to be redeemed, restored back to God, put in a right standing with God and declared righteous from adultery. Y'all understand what I'm saying? But under the law of Moses, you could not be justified from it. Under the law of Moses, children disrespected, not talking back to their parents. There was no mercy for that. A child talked back to his parents, he's dragged out and he's stoned and put to death. Ain't no, well, I was just having a bad day. Ain't no, I, I'm a little bipolar, I got diagnosed. That's the end of it. You're dragged out and you're taken and you're stoned. You dead, they bury your body outside the camp and go on about their day. Under the law of Moses, when they dab in the body who offered the, 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 the unrighteous sacrifice, the strange fire, they were swallowed up and killed. And Moses turned to Aaron and basically dared him to mourn for his sons. Like, don't cry for them. Because they got justly what they deserved and they did an act that under the law of Moses there was no return from. But through Christ Jesus, there's justification. We can be brought back into right standing because God has set up this thing so he can be just. That means he execute his punishment and he can be the justifier. That means he can make people who are not righteous, righteous. This is God's standard. So when we're thinking about this law of Moses, we got to keep this in mind. Christ Jesus came and he brought a justification that we could not be justified from under the law of Moses. Are y'all understanding what we're saying? Let's look at another one. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 verse 15. Like I said, it's hard to be getting starting points. I have to read this whole book. 2.15 it says, We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. Alright? So we who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. Basically showing this difference that is set up between Jews and Gentiles because the Jews by nature are the covenant people of God. God made his covenant with them. And so they got separated to be the holy people of God. And that's what he's aiming at. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is justified by the works of the law, but is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Christ, Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, but by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So what is Paul saying here is that we are the people of God. We have the covenant of God. The oracles of God was given to us. We're not the separated people like the Gentiles. They've been cut off. They're not a part of the household of faith. We being these people, we know that justification don't come through the law. And we sought justification by faith and not through the works of the law. By the law, we are the people of God. But we understand that justification don't come from that. So we went to Christ to seek justification and not through the works of the law. Are y'all understanding what he's saying? That's what he's getting at. Like we know where the justification comes from, but by law, we are the people of God. We should be all right. But we ain't resting that. We went to Christ and sought justification because we know that we're justified by faith and not by works. For by the works of the law shall no, no flesh be justified. Verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, 
we ourselves are also found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Now he asked the question. And what he's saying here is since I'm seeking Christ and I'm trusting in Christ, I ain't looking to this law to justify me. I'm looking to Christ to make me righteous. It's like if while I'm doing that, I'll be found a sinner. Say, is Christ the servant of sin? This, this is going to be important going forward. Question is, is Christ the servant of sin? So basically, is me seeking faith by Christ, is that the thing that makes me a sinner? That's the question. I told y'all this before. A lot of Jewish people, they hate Christians when it comes to theology and justification because the idea is that we are people of creed while they're people of deed. All we do is talk about God and talk about what we believe while they actually go out there and live it. And so it's this idea and it's a real idea that creeped into the church that by turning to Christ and just seeking justification to him, that gives me a liberty which will allow looseness in my life, which will allow me to be a sinner. And that's what Christ aiming at. Like, since I ain't following these strict rules no more, if I be found a sinner, does that mean Christ, is he doling out sin? Is he the minister of sin? It's like Christ making people sinners. Because that's a charge that laid against the church. That y'all think is okay, you can do whatever you want to, as long as you believe, and everything is good. It's like God ain't like that. And Paul's response to that is, God forbid. And look what he say. For, because if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So if I turn to Christ and I start building again the things which I destroyed, basically going back to my old pattern of life, it's not Christ who making me a sinner. I'm making myself a transgressor. This ain't got nothing to do with the law or not the law. Justification comes through faith. So that's what he pointing at. For I through 19, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet I let not I, but Christ live in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And what he's saying is, in this term, I don't live my regular life. So when I turn to Christ, I'm dead to the law. Basically, I'm cut off. I've been made, I've been separated from the law. So all the standards and all the, the, the rough stuff that comes from the law, I'm no longer in that. I've been made dead. Death means separation. So I'm dead to the law. In the life that I live, I don't live according to the law. I live through faith in Christ Jesus. So it ain't me living anymore. It's Christ living through me. So I'm not building again these dead things, but Christ is living inside of me and he's living a life. Then he makes this strange statement. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Like what do you, what do you think it means to frustrate the grace of God? And what he's aiming at is that there's a grace and there's a work of God going on in me. And I don't work against that. I allow God's work in me to work because if I'm Living in the grace of God, but seeking to be justified by the law, I make Christ to die in vain. Because Christ came to redeem us, but the law has standards of redemption. Christ came to make us righteous, but the law has standards of righteousness. Christ came 
to bring us back to God, to bring reconciliation. But the law have rules for reconciliation. And what he's saying is, if I can gain what Christ came for through the law, then Christ was just wasting his time. But he told us over and over again, I cannot get what Christ offered through the law. So therefore, when I'm looking to be right with God, I do not look to the law. I look to Christ. Y'all grasping what I'm saying? So when we're going through these laws, and like I said, we're going to walk through the whole Bible. And when we're looking at these, what we cannot see is something that makes me righteous. When I'm looking at these laws, I cannot see something that makes me righteous when I'm looking at them. Because if I believe in faith, then turn towards law to be more right, I'm wasting Christ's blood. Basically what he's saying, Christ died in vain. Like Jesus was wasting his time. Give you an example. Just a little small stuff. And we're going to expand. So there are some folks who they believe in Jesus, they proclaim Jesus, but they have this strong conviction that in order for them to truly honor the commandments of God, they got to wear little fringes on the edge of their clothes because they read that in the law of Moses. Like you make borders on the edges of your garment. So they, like I said, making merchandise out of the people of God. They go to these little stores and buy these little feminine looking tassels and and attach them to their clothes. Now, if you ask these people, like, you think that's going to make you saved? They will tell you, no, I'm saved by Jesus. You're like, so why do you do that? Like, what's the purpose of that? And if you press hard enough deep down in your mind, their mind, they think that this brings them to another level of righteousness. Like, I'm a little more, I'm, I'm, I'm being real deep right now because I got these little things on my clothes because I'm, I'm digging deep. If that elevates you and brings you to another level of righteousness that I can't get just by believing in Jesus, Christ died in vain. That's what Paul's saying. Like I said, if your prayer life with God is better, if you spend them 60 to to $100 to buy that little shawl to put over your head to pray, talking about going in your closet, and they done taught you that going in the closet, see, back in the, in the Bible times, like the Bible covered like 4,000 years of history, but they said in the Bible time, they, they put it there. See, what Jesus said, when you go enter into your closet, what he really meant, they had the prayer shawl, and that was their private thing that they entered into, and they got all these church folks Ordering all these little shawls to put on their head, talking about them entering into my closet. Thinking that this is going to elevate my level of prayer and elevate my level of intimacy with God. What you elevate is the bank account of some people who were pimping the people of God. That's what you elevate. Because if buying a little shawl and putting it over my head and saying some prayers can get me to a greater level of intimacy, then regular folks just believing in Jesus, Christ died in vain. It didn't take a sacrifice for me to buy a shawl. So if that's all it took for me to get a little shawl to enter into the very presence of God, there wasn't no need for Christ. Because he said he made the way for me to enter into the holiness of holies. He said he made the new and a better way. 
Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we look at these things, we have to keep all this in mind and understand what it is that we're talking about. If anything, anybody tells you to do that is quote unquote connected to a tradition of man that's supposed to elevate you to a closer level with God, don't do it. Now, if you want to do it just because you think them shawls look cool and you look fresh when you got the thing on your head, that between you and God. But if you think you're going to reach another level of intimacy, you are wrong. And you're frustrating the grace of God because you're looking to something that was not designed to get you there to do what Christ died to you do. Now, y'all understand what I'm saying? So when we talk about the law, what we cannot be talking about is being made right with God. If I pick all the shrimp out of my shrimp fried rice, that don't mean I'm more righteous than anybody else. That means I just don't like shrimp. (laughs) Are you understand? If you're doing it for the purpose of getting closer to God or being more like Jesus, you need to just, just, just be very careful because justification only comes through what? Faith. That's the only thing that justifies. Not going to Wendy's on a Friday night because you saying I'm celebrating the Sabbath don't make you more holy. It might make you hungry. It won't make you holy. Because justification and righteousness only comes through faith. Look at chapter 11. We just let's bounce around. Let's drive this on home. I mean chapter 3. I'm sorry. Verse 11. Go back to nine. It's hard to get a place. Galatians chapter three, verse nine. So then they was be of faith are blessed with faith for Abraham. For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Y'all earmark that. Let me read it again. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evidence. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Paul is saying, if you don't continue in everything written in the law, so if you start on this journey, if you want to be justified and you say, okay, I want to be more righteous, so I'm finna start working on the Sabbath because I want to be more righteous. What Paul is saying is you got to keep that up. And not only keep that up, but you got to do everything that the law tells you to do. Or else you put yourself under a curse. And he quoted the law that said, Cursed is everyone who continues not in all things written in this book. So if you start this to be just, if you start this to put you on a, a path of righteousness, what Paul is saying is you got to keep the whole thing up. Because if you don't keep the whole thing up, you're going to be cursed. Now, we're going to we're going to do this next time, but let me, let's, let's play with this for a second and demonstrate something to you. It is impossible for anybody to continue in all things written in the law 
So if we take Paul's statement to be true, if we believe Paul is writing the words of God, if we continue down that path in any way, we can immediately bring condemnation on ourselves. Why you say so? All right, so let's take our deep folks that want to celebrate the Sabbath. All right, they want they want to celebrate the Sabbath. And they're saying, I'm saying this is God day, God set it up, and we're going to honor God because that's what the commandments say. So I want to be righteous and holy, so I'm going to keep the Sabbath. Now, you have to ask a question. Because a part of the sabbatical laws was that three times a year, every male has to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This is the law. And in that pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you're supposed to present yourself before the priest at the temple. This is the law. One thing that has not existed since 69, 70 AD is the temple. So how in the world do we fulfill that law? You cannot. Because there's no temple for us to go to. So we're trying to keep these laws to be righteous. We put ourselves under condemnation if Paul's words is true because God has made it so that we can't do them. There is no temple. So I don't know where you're going to go. And you know what the deep folks do? They just scratch that one out of their Bible. We will, if we're trying to tithe, let's say we want to pay our tithe because God talked about tithe and we want to fulfill the law of the tithe. See, y'all church folks, y'all just do a little bit. Y'all don't be tithing. But if you really follow the law of God, you need to pay your tithe. A part of the law of the tithe is once a year, you have to bring all your tithes to where? The temple. And you're supposed to have this great feast. And you feed the priests. And you feed the orphans. And you feed the poor within your gates. And y'all celebrate at the temple of God. That's what you do with your tithe. Now, when they convert this stuff, why the church don't ever say that? Like, why don't they ever say, now, this Sunday, y'all get all y'all money to go. And we're going to come to church. And we're going to invite all the poor people that live in the neighborhood. And we're just going to have a party. We're going to spend all our time money just to have a party. Anybody ever been to church where they told you to do that? Me. <laughs> but if we seek to follow these laws, there is no temple. So we cannot follow this law. And if Paul's statement is true, that if we seek to be justified by the works of the law, if we don't continue in all things written in the law, we make we put a curse upon ourselves. We put ourselves automatically under a curse. Like I said, you get these folks, they get deep now, and they won't, they mess your head up. They tell you, see what I'm saying? There's 613 laws in, 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 the, in the Old Testament, in the five books of Moses, 613. Now, amazing now, you ask them, where you get that from? I guarantee you, you have not met anybody that counted. <laughs> I promise you, you have not met anybody that counted. But they're going to tell you, 613. Some of them just try to be deep, you know what I'm saying? They won't expand. Them 600 plus laws in there. And we got all these stuff. And see, you mix garments and all this, all that stuff in there. And, and see, y'all Christian folks, y'all just pick and choose. And I'm telling you, the non-Christian folks who try to be deep, they just pick and choose. Because it is impossible for us to fulfill the laws. 
Because if we, if we take the number, and where the 613 come from is this old rabbi back in the day. He set up a list, and he made them. And he put that number on there. And he may be the only dude that counted. I don't think nobody else went behind him and questioned him on that. Everybody <laughs> took his word for it. But we get these 614. Over 50% of those has something to do with the priesthood in the temple and sacrifices. Think about that. Over 50% of them has something to do with the priesthood, the temple, and sacrifices. If Paul's words are true, what is that? Let me make sure I read it again. Galatians 3.10 For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if this word is true, that if you go on seeking to be justified by the law and you're living under these works, that there's a curse on you if you don't continue in everything written in there, if this word is true, everybody who seeks to live life by the law automatically place themselves under a curse. Because God has set it up so that you cannot fulfill all those works of the law because there is no temple. Go ahead. Who wrote Moses' law? We're going to get that. It came from Moses. Moses' law came from Moses and God sent it down. These are God's rules and God's laws and God's commandments. And the Bible referred to them as good and holy and just and righteous. And we're going to dig deeper into them. But I want to lay this groundwork that whatever it is we're talking about, God took away the temple. And in taking away the temple, he destroyed the ability for us to fulfill over 50% of those laws. If we take that rabbi's word in his list of 613. And I've been looking at his list this week. I made it through a good large chunk of them. Just going through. This we can fulfill. This we can't fulfill. This we can't fulfill. This we can't fulfill. And over half of them we cannot fulfill. Like I said, we can't go up to Jerusalem three times a year. Because there's no temple. We cannot truly celebrate the Day of Atonement. There is no temple. A lot of these things that these deep folks telling you that you're supposed to be doing, they're not doing because they cannot do it. And even the ones who want to be super deep and saying, well, we do all the laws that we can because God understands and he made up these rules for exile. I guarantee you, I have not met one real Jewish people who sleep in a tent for seven straight days and eat only unleavened bread. Now, that's something you can do. You can go in your backyard and build a tent. And nowadays, you ain't even got to build it. You just go down there to the sports authority and buy one and pull the rope and boom, that thing pop up. And live there for seven days in a tent eating unleavened bread. I ain't met nobody that do it yet. Know what I'm saying? There's some Jewish people. They follow this custom. You know what they do? They have a little picnic and a little thing with their family. Then they get their butt up and go in their house and go to sleep. <laughs> so when we talk, so when people dig at you and say that, see y'all church folks, y'all just pick and choose what laws you follow. But what we say is, we follow Jesus. 
And this is our foundational understanding that justification can't come through the law because we cannot follow it. And the question becomes, if God has made it impossible for us to follow the law, why? Why did God allow the temple to be taken away and never to be rebuilt? Like I said, 70 AD, when they took the temple away. That's a very long time ago. And they still ain't rebuilt. And you got this mass people thinking that they following the law, paying these, all this money to go stand before a wall and pray. Because they think they following what Solomon said. That if we get kicked out of this land and we get exiled, then my peoples will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and all that good stuff. And he said, if they turn and pray towards this temple, then God hear their prayers and restore them. Now since 19, what it was 67, I think it was. Once Jerusalem recaptured, the Israelites recaptured Jerusalem, folks been going, standing in front of that wall praying. We still ain't got no temple. And even deeper, that ain't what Solomon said. Solomon said if they turn towards this temple and pray, that temple ain't there no more. And even the replacement one, it ain't there no more. All you got is a little wall that some folks told you that might be a part of the Herod's temple. We don't know that for sure. And what we have is people following traditions of men thinking that they're following the laws of God and not taking time just to ask this one simple question. If God desires for us to obey his laws, why did he make it so that we cannot? We cannot. If you wanted to follow the sacrificial system, you can't do it. There is no high priest. There is no temple. So there's no way for you to obey those commands. Saying if you was to purge your house of the coronavirus in accordance with the law of Moses, the priest is supposed to come and inspect your home and make sure that it's kosher and up to standards before you can enter back in and live in it. Who are you going to call? You gonna call Jay Black? Hey Jay, <laughs> I had this little scab on my arm. <laughs> it's healed now. According to Moses, the priest supposed to come and, and let me know that I can come back to church. <laughs> Would you come over my house and look at my arm? <laughs> I don't think Jay qualified. <laughs> Oh, y'all, you, you track with what I'm saying. And so we have to begin to ask this question, like, why did God set it up this way? Why did God put it so we cannot fulfill not just one or two laws? Because you look into it, you say, I'm saying Jesus was our sacrifice and he made the sacrifice for us. Yeah, that's true and that good. But there's a whole bunch of other laws that Jesus ain't had nothing to do with if we take the way the world look at them. Like Jesus ain't say, I made that pilgrimage for you so you don't have to go. And you don't read that like, no males have to go to Jerusalem no more because Jesus went to Jerusalem. So how is it that we're supposed to establish? That's what Paul said in Romans. Like, no, nah, we don't make void the law. We establish the law. 
How in the world do we do that? Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. 5.18. Romans 5.18. And what we're going to seek now, we're going to get back to that. That's going to be the question we're going to try to answer. Like why God got it so we cannot fulfill the law. But first let's wrestle with this for a second. Why did God give us a law to start with? Like Maddie said, like, where, where did law stuff come from anyway? Why did God give it to us? Matthew 5.18 said, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to the condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through Jesus through, through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is Paul is saying here is that the law entered. As in this chapter 5, he was showing the contrast between Adam's disobedience and Christ's obedience. And this was a theme he picking up through Romans 4 and Romans 5. Adam's disobedience and Christ's obedience. And so Adam brought unrighteousness and death to everybody, but Christ's obedience brings righteousness and life to everybody. And he said in between that, moreover, because in the time, because there was people dying after Adam who did not have a law. And Paul used that as an argument. He said, well, the law, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Because law, sin is the transgression of the law. He said, but instead, they still died at the similitude of Adam. And he was using that to show that Adam's death brought condemnation on everybody. Because them people after Adam didn't sin like Adam did. But in between Adam and Christ, he said the law entered that sin, get his exact word, law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So the law came to make the offense, to make the transgression bigger. So the law came to magnify sin. Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin is dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Like what in the world is Paul talking about? And he's pointing to the same point. Like, is the law wrong? Like, no, the law is not wrong. But the law gives me knowledge of sin. And what he's saying is, I wouldn't have known what sin was unless the law came. I wouldn't have known how evil I was unless there was a law. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's like, give me a secular example that they were referred to to help you see it. Now, how many of you ever seen, like, little kids play basketball? You got little kids, they play basketball, especially, like, go to them little upward leads and stuff like that, and you got them little five, six, seven-year-olds out there, and they dribble the ball a little down, they pick it up, and they run a little bit, and they dribble it again, and they just throw it, and it's just chaos everywhere. One thing that is absent 
from those games is a lot of rules. And the reason there's not a lot of rules is because they know the kids can't play. And the game would not be enjoyable if they call double dribble, if they call travel, if they call foul and hit another kid. Like, the game would never go anywhere. Uh, every three seconds, it'll be a rule violation. Because they don't know how to play. But them kids are having a good time, and they think they the next Michael Jordan. And they don't know. They're breaking every rule in the book. But they don't know how bad they are at basketball because there's no rules. And the immediate point that you bring rules in, it gets frustrating and people don't want to play no more. Because why can't I pick up the ball and run with it? Because if I just dribble, somebody's going to take it from me. You understand what I'm saying? So they enjoy playing when you say that. It's okay. You just run. <laughs> I cross them up. <laughs> when you can do that, it's fun. But when somebody tells you, no, you can't move unless you're dribbling the ball. And if you pick it up, you have to stop moving. And I heard people like, if I just do this all the time, somebody going to come and take the ball. Not if you know what you're doing. <laughs> but the minute I'm forced to do this and have to play in every two or three seconds, somebody taking the ball from me, I get mad and quit because they ain't playing, fell. This ain't fun. Well, the law introduced, that rules show me that you don't know how to play basketball. That you thought you were good all the way until you had to follow the rules. Now, y'all understand what I'm saying? It's like when you can write a paper and you can just say whatever you want to, and you can turn in five pages that that one long thing, ain't no punctuation marks, ain't no uppercase or lowercase letter, ain't no paragraph started, it's all one thing. You be like, man, I'm a killer. I killed that essay. <laughs> so I wrote five pages God I killed it then if your teacher say we checking for grammar we're checking for spelling <laughs> you're like man we gotta do we gotta spell the words right too <laughs> because once they start putting all the rules in you realize that I'm not that great of a writer like writing papers ain't fun <laughs> Because rules demonstrate or show you your inadequacies. When somebody holds you to that, you have to do certain things a certain way. It messed the whole thing up. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And that's what Paul is talking about here. Well, God brought the law in so that the sin can be magnified. Because before the law came, people were living wild and foul. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. But there was only certain levels of guilt that came just from the internal thing that God put in there. But when God put a standard and rules to show you what you're supposed to do, people are like, hold up. What you mean, like, I ain't supposed to covet? Like, I just want stuff. That's just natural. And you fine with that until somebody tell you it's wrong. You understanding what I'm saying? Like, people living and filing doing all type of crazy stuff. And then Jesus, I mean, God come bring these laws like, hey, y'all don't bear false witness. 
Like, what you mean? <laughs> like, lying one another. Y'all don't do that. Like, hold up. What you mean? <laughs> and we do like we do nowadays when people don't like stuff. I don't understand that. Anytime <laughs> we see something we don't agree with in the Bible, we say we don't understand. And so that's what they were saying <laughs> back in them days. Like, I don't understand this. And that's how you get all them extra rules. Because the law introduced something and showed them evil within yourself. Like, he, he putting up laws. Like, you supposed to let the poor people take all your stuff. Like, when you harvest, you don't pick all your fruits. Leave some of it. Like, hold on. I'm selling this, cuz. <laughs> this is how I feed my family. You just want me to give it away for free? Like, you, you can't go to McDonald's and get no free burger. <laughs> Only them little, little, little pole restaurants where they're trying to get business do they give you them samples. Want a sample? <laughs> you don't go to Chipotle ask, can I get a sample? Huh? I don't know. You you ain't going to even try it. <laughs> it might be a rule that they'll give you one, but you ain't going to try it going open, huh? Because you know they sell this stuff and it's expensive. <laughs> if I don't know what I want, I just ain't going to order nothing. <laughs> but Moses come with these laws you gotta leave this stuff and what he showed you that there's some evil in your heart that you don't like taking care of people that's what the law brought it showed you that you're stingy for real <laughs> and the question becomes like we ain't supposed to be stingy like, ain't nobody never said we ain't supposed to be stingy my mama and them ain't told me that but when the law came and he told you to give, you reached that conclusion on your own because the purpose of the law is to elevate and to make sin look like what it is, sin. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. It's hard to pick a place to start. Now, I said, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers and fathers, murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for manstealers and for liars and for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. This is Paul's statement. He said the law is good. It's just if a man use it lawfully. So there's a right way to use the law. And he said, knowing this, this is what you need to know when we're talking about this law. That is not made for a righteous man. So the law ain't made for what kind of man? A righteous man. Now hold up. That, 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 that can be messed up. It's not made for a righteous man. So how do a righteous man know how to be righteous? Like, man, what, what in the world? There is some righteous. Because we just told you how righteousness come. It came through what? It came through faith apart from the law. So once you get in faith apart from the law, you are a righteous man. And if Paul's words be true, if he know what he's talking about, the law ain't made for you. So how do in the world do I know how to be righteous? If the law ain't made for a righteous man. But the law is made for who? The lawless. That don't make no sense. If they lawless, 
Why are you giving them the law because they ain't going to do right? It's like if Aaron going into a store, I know he want to be right. So I tell him the rules of the store so he know how to operate in there because he's trying to be right. Now, if I were going in there and I don't care about what nobody's saying, can't nobody tell me, now why would you waste your time telling me rules? I ain't going to follow them. Like y'all work and everybody work got employee handbooks and all that stuff. Do you know the only people who read them things? It's the people who got a real hard in mind to try to understand what it is they can and cannot do. The rest of the whole world, they don't pay no attention to no employee handbook. They get that thing in orientation, fling it in the back of their car, and one day it disappears and nobody ever knows what happens. <laughs> but then you got some crazy people who sit down there and read that stuff, and they, and they try to understand it. But then the people that follow it. And if we take Paul's idea, like the only people we give employee handbook to is to the people who tell you they ain't following no rules. Like you get the handbook and give it to them. Like, what, Paul, what you talking about? And he run this long list of people that are disobedient, ungodly, man stealers, fornicators. Like the law is for them. Like how I know I'm, how I know how to be righteous if you ain't, if the law ain't for me. Like Paul had, he had to make it. You know what I'm saying it's, it's, it's the King James people. They messed that up. Back up a little bit. To verse 5. And we're going to run this one all the way home. And it's going to set us up for next week. It said now the end of the commandment. Is charity out of a pure heart. And of a good conscience. And faith unfeigned. And now the end of the commandment. Is charity out of a pure heart. And of a good conscience. And of faith unfeigned. So that word end. Is the word teleos. Uh, or the purpose of it, the end goal, the result, the whole way that it was designed. So he's saying the end of it, the, the purpose of it, the, the end goal, the thing that the commandment is aiming after is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and faith unfeigned. Go to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to run this list on home and see how long it takes us to catch on. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Matthew 7, 12, famous verse. said, therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 36. Another famous verse. says, Thou shalt look, <clears throat> Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Luke chapter 10. Mark 12 says the same thing. Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and with and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Hold up. Jesus made a mistake there. We'll talk about his mistake in a little bit. John chapter 13. John 13. Is it 13 I want? All right. John 13, 34. It says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you my disciples, if you love one another. All right, that's Jesus talking. I'm going to make them these a contradiction after a minute. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. It says, O no man anything but to love one another. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That, that get pretty deep. Go to uh, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 8. This James talking. He said, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, thou do well. So if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, thou do well. Last, we'll go to 1 John chapter 3. That's chapter 2. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a lie, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shining. He that said he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. So it's he that hated his brother say he abides in darkness. But he that loveth his brother abides in the light and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. Now, this presents us with a dilemma. Everybody caught on the theme to all those verses. Everybody catch it on? What's, what's the one thing all of them had in common? Love. Love was the one thing they all had in common. And John, quoting Jesus, he makes this strange statement. It's like, the people who are in him they keep his commandments. And he, at last, this is how we know we in him. If we keep his commandments. Like, now nah, I ain't writing you no new commandment. But the same commandment you had from the beginning. But I'm going to give you a new commandment. And this is a new commandment. Like, we know in him if we abide in the light. And we walk the way he walked. Now, 
If you hate your brother, you don't abide in the light. So you're not in God, you're not in Christ, according to John, if you hate your brother. But if you love your brother, he said, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. That's, that's a very deep statement. So the one that loves his brother, there's nothing in him that can cause him to stumble. Let me say that again. That, that gets very deep. The person who loves his brother, there's nothing in him that can cause him to stumble. And if we add that with everything that all these other people said, it started to make a little sense. Because Jesus said over and over again. If you love God and you love your neighbor, said on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus made it like the little diagram that you used to make in elementary school. You keep had a little hanger hanging up there and you put all the stuff out on it. And so Jesus made a little diagram. He had a clothes hanger. So he was giving a pictorial sermon. And on his pictorial sermon, he had a little wire hanger. And he put the little paper part on there. He, he designed it and colored it and everything. And he put love on it. And love was the hanger. Then he got some little different color yarn and tied it on there. And he put the whole, what we call the Old Testament, at the bottom of the hanger. It's like the whole Old Testament is caught on to this one little thing we call love. So if we get the hanger, love, we get everything up under there. If we get this one thing, we get everything that's up under there. Even James picked up on the same thing. He said, if you will fulfill the royal law, like the, 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 the kingly law, the supreme law, the law that's above all laws, love your neighbor, you do well. Paul went so far as to say that if we don't owe anybody anything but to love him, we fulfill all the commandments. And he started quoting someone. He started going through the Ten Commandments. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And all these other things, he started quoting them. Then he's like, if that ain't enough, any other commandment there is. So how many of them 613, if we take that rabbi account, do you think qualifies as any other commandment there is? Did Paul know what he's talking about? All of them. So the question I asked was, if the law ain't for the righteous man, how does the righteous man know how to live right? If we trust God, he's saying the only thing you need to know how to do is love God and love your neighbor. And you will do everything that all the law and all the prophets tell you to do. So he went from Genesis to Malachi and said everything in between, you're going to do it if you do this one thing. And there's this idea out there that somehow the Ten Commandments is elevated above all the rest of the scripture. But when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He didn't quote not one of the ten. He quoted Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. He didn't quote two scriptures that was together. He took the two different parts of the law that had nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. If you do these, you did all of them. These the greatest ones. So now it becomes a question of faith. Because in our natural mind, that don't make no sense. Like how could just loving people make you obey the whole Bible? 
Like, that don't make no sense. Like, did, did you see some of the rules in now? Like, in certain ways, you're supposed to wash your hands. And so we have to ask the question to ourselves. Do I believe Jesus? Like, do I believe he know what he's talking about? Because if I believe what Jesus know what he's talking about, I can have full confidence that no matter what anybody pull out of anything from Genesis to Malachi, my life is in line with it. Because that's what Jesus told me. Like, if you do unto others as you will have them do unto you, like all the law and the prophets, you got that. You good. Because that's the end of the law. But that also points us to where we're going. Paul seems to think that there was a purpose to the law. Beyond just revealing our sins, he, he's aiming at something. He said, this is the end of the law. But we're going to stop here. Now, I need y'all to wrestle with this and get it to, into your heart deep down and trust God that if you love, you do everything God wants you to do. And that's how Jesus can make the statement that those who love me keep my commandments. The people who love me, they keep my commandments. They obey and do everything that I tell them to do because he said that the love for God and love for your fellow man is the chief supreme above all the commandments and everything else hang on these. Paul went so far as to say every other commandment. Some people going to tell you, see, he's only talking about the moral law and the way that we relate to one another. Paul said any other one. Whatever it is, whatever you can find and you pull it out there, Paul said if you got this right, you got all of it right. And we have to trust God that that is true. So when we run to them folk telling us that you ain't doing this and you ain't doing that and you got to do this and you got to do that. We need to say, do we do? Hold up. Do I trust this dude? I do I trust Jesus? When that preacher man tell us that we, I'm saying, if we want to elevate to go to this certain level in our worship and all this type of stuff, that we put these mezuzahs on our door and these little bit of things, making pimping us. And they got this special holy anointing oil, the same kind that they talk about in the book of Numbers. And that this special rabbi, rabbi and blessed it and said his prayers over it. And, and now we got this thing up here. And if you really want to be anointed and filled with the spirit of God, you buy for $19.95. You get this special holy anointing oil and then it's going to bless your whole house and your whole family. When Jesus said, all I got to do is love and I got all the rest of it. So don't let them folk pimp you out your money. Think that you're getting deep. Because you bought some special clothes and you got a special horn. All you got is some fancy, expensive piece of cloth. Like I said, if you like that, it's just your thing, you look cool. Because I thought about pimping it one time, you know what I'm saying? Just be smooth. <laughs> I'm making my Easter outfit, you know what I'm saying? Give me one of them all white linen suits. Get a press shawl to put on that thing. <laughs> hey, get, get, get some old white and blue Stacey Adams to match. You know what I'm saying? Be straight pimping on that thing. <laughs> what I'm saying? It did that, did that Hebrew drip. <laughs> I can say drip in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that what you want to do, that's fine. But know and trust and believe that. Jesus seemed to know a lot more than a lot of these preachers on TV. So let's trust Jesus before we trust these preachers on TV. But Jesus also make a statement that's going to set us up. He makes this crazy statement that whoever teaches people not to obey these laws of mine, say they the least in the kingdom of heaven. Like, hold up, Jesus, what you mean now? Because Paul said a whole bunch about us not being following these laws and us being outside of the law and not under the law. So does that mean Paul is less in the kingdom of heaven? We're going to wrestle with that next week. Any questions? Okay, my question that I have today is, um, I think I understand, I mean, I understood most what you, you were saying, but at the same time, I was a little bit confused. One, one of the questions that I have is that uh, the art of the, the covenant, the thing that was written, mm-hmm. so that was not the Moses law. The Ark of the Covenant. That paper that's in there, whatever. Oh, you talking about the tablets? Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. So is that the the Moses law? That's that part of the Moses law. Yeah. So it's still there. And the other one is, I know sometimes I've seen it on TV in Jerusalem and stuff like that, and uh, it looked like a uh, a dome. I thought that was the. No, that's what they refer to as the Dome of the Rock. That's a Muslim temple. That's a um, a Muslim mosque. That's when the Arabs came in and took over. They took over Jerusalem and to defame, which is Arab tradition way back in the day. Anytime they take over a Muslim tradition, when they take over land, they try to eradicate any memory of the religion that was there before. And so that was a part of their eradication to build that mosque as a symbol that this land belongs to Allah. So that's that has nothing to do with the Jews. One more question. Um, so you were saying that something about the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, you're saying that that's um, what do you, an idol? Would God say you know, don't make an idol? So they worship in the wall. They're not. The idea that they have when they go to the wall, where you say when you see them, you see the rabbis there. What they're doing is praying, and in their mind, <clears throat> what they're doing is they're following what Solomon set down when he built the temple. You know, the famous scripture, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their sins and seek my face, that was a part of the dedication from Solomon. And in that dedication, he's saying, if we get kicked out of the land, if they repent and turn and pray towards the temple, you will forgive their sins and restore them back into the land. So when they're there, in their mind, what they're doing is obeying Solomon and they're praying for the temple, praying towards the temple. In hopes that God will liberate them from their enemies and allow the temple to be rebuilt and restore them to their former glories. So when you see them, that's all they're doing. They're praying to God, but they're trying to they think that they're obeying Solomon. Like you see, some people they go and they stick their prayers inside the wall. And so it has become a tradition of men, another thing we're going to talk about next week, that somehow this thing has a special prayer thing, but it, that's where it originally comes from, trying to obey Solomon. Like if you read in the book of Daniel. It talks about how he prayed three times facing the east. No, he faced the west. Facing towards the temple. And the reason he did that is because he knew the scriptures and he knew what was promised. So he was obeying that and they thinking they picking up on the same thing. Go ahead. I was going to ask this. I know that um, when we kind of talk to God, we look up. 
-hmm. okay? But there's a North Pole, and I think it's a South Pole. And then there's the East and the West that is mentioned on the in church. It doesn't say anything about North and South. Mm -hmm. So how come we don't face either the South to the West since that is, what is that, geographical or something? Okay. And why don't we do that? A lot of, when people make an emphasis out of what direction you face, like most people look up because it's in your consciousness, God is above us. That's where that comes from. And you got scriptures throughout the Psalms that we lift up our eyes and so on. And, and some people spiritualize the scripture where it talks about we look towards the hill from which comes our help, but they ain't got nothing to do with that. But that's where that idea comes from. But when people make a big deal out of facing east or facing west, that most of that comes from pagan traditions. Like in some churches, they make a big deal. They have to build their church facing the east. And that's because the founders are the, the people, the pastors and the leaders are masons. And there's dark significance towards praying towards the east that comes through a whole lot of pagan religions because the east is the rising of the sun and so on and so forth. And you get all that into that. Us Christian folks, you pray to God. I don't care what's where you face. You can stand on your head if, <laughs> if you have to. But scripture don't make any direct command about position or posture when you pray. Only internal position and posture. That we come with a humble heart and that we're looking unto God and we're looking unto Christ. But whether or not you're facing east or west and all that stuff, anybody who make a big deal out of that, they're influenced by pagan culture and tradition of men. We don't pray towards the east. We pray towards Jesus. All right, so I have several questions, but probably maybe just one. Um, you were saying that basically um, you keep all the commandments of God from the law by loving God and loving people. But I guess the only thing that's kind of confusing me is reading First John chapter 3, which mm -hmm. you were about to go over to you then. Um, verse 4 says, Whosoever commits sin transgressive also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And so I guess my question, and he goes into how God didn't sin, Jesus didn't sin, and all this. But if, um, then you made a statement at the end, like the verse, all the verses you was going to was talking about at the end was about um, loving God and loving people that's keeping the commandments. But then I guess just looking at that one verse is talking about sin is the transgression of the law. And so, but it's impossible to keep the law. So, I guess my question was, is it impossible to live a sinless life? And then if, I don't know, I have a lot of questions in there. It's just, I guess just that point is like confused to me. And then if it's, if, if it's just about loving God and loving people, then, and you said at the very end, does that mean that you just forget about all the commandments and you just say, I don't care nothing about doing it. I'm just going to love God and love people. But I don't know, I'm kind of confused. All right, that's good. Verse 9 of that same chapter, we'll pick up there. It said, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So, if that first statement is true, this one has to be true as well. So, he's saying that it's those who are born of God can't sin. Now, some of your versions said don't continue in sin. So, sin is exempt from the people who are born of God because God's seed is remain, remains in them. So whatever he means in verse, what that, four, has to apply here because it falls on the back of that. Then he keep going. In verse 10, it said, 
In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So now he connects this doing righteousness with the loving of the brother. And he tells you why in verse 11. Because, for this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So the reason that we are exempt from being in this category of the people of God because of love, because he's saying this is the message that we love here from the beginning, that we should love one another. And he goes through the rest of that chapter trying to demonstrate and approve that point, that love is connected with righteousness. But the basis, and we're going we're gonna to dig deeper into it, but the <clears throat> verse 9 is a key point in that, that whatever he means in 4, we automatically get it because of what happens in verse 9. And somehow love is connected with that. So it's something about the seed of God in us that allows us to not fall in the category of verse 4. And love is connected to that because he spent the rest of the chapter, pretty much the rest of the book, bouncing back and forth all those same two things. This is how we... We love him because he first loved us. And this is the love of God is manifested. So he going through all of these things and it's about this love that's in us. But we can live sinless because of the spirit of God that dwells in us. And whatever he means in verse 4 cannot exempt verse 9. If you understand what I'm saying. That's what he's saying. That's what that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Maybe I got two questions. Um, <clears throat> like we was talking about the laws. I understand, like, in the Old Testament, there were certain laws because that was before Christ. But then in the New Testament, the reason the things change is because that's when Jesus came, right? Mm-hmm. And the laws got changed, so you didn't have to go to the temple and do all of that because Jesus had came and then died for our sins and everything. That's why we have the new laws. Close. Because Jesus' statement has to mean something. And we're going to delve into that next week. In Matthew 5, when he talks about it, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill. Some of your versions say, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill. And he makes this statement, whosoever teach men to break these laws, whoever break these laws and teach men to do so, the same shall be least in the kingdom of heaven. So whatever our understanding is, it has to be in line with Jesus' understanding of what it means to teach men to break the law because he's talking about the same laws that go all the way back to what we refer to as the Old Testament. So there has to be some congruency between his statement and whatever it is we mean when we say that we don't have to do that because. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there is a change and we're going to, hopefully we can explain that change clearly next week. Which uh, open up the whole thing then we can start looking at some pinpointed laws. Go ahead. Okay. Even with the laws, that goes back to all the different sins. Well, what do you tell a person who because all of us sin every day, whether it's a thought or anything. What do you tell a person who try to hold others 
I want to say accountable for their sins, the things that they do that's not right. But then I guess they think that they're okay because they say they pray and I ask God for forgiveness. But they basically put, I'm going to say, a title on you. Like they'll say, well, um, you're a thief or you're a liar. But they can do those same things. And in their eyes, I guess they feel like, you know, God know them. They talk to God. But because you did it to them, then you're, yeah. do you understand what I'm saying? You're, you're just this bad person. Because I had a conversation with somebody who it does, and I, and I tried to tell them, you know, you can't hold somebody for something that you do because we all sin. You can't say that the things that they do, and they can be the same as what you do. It's wrong. I mean, it's, you know, hell almost like at a higher level because if you're doing the same thing they're doing, why are you always putting a title on them and trying to, you know, tell other people, you know, don't talk to them because they're this way when you do the same thing? And it's like, well, they told the, well, they told me it was like because they did it to them. If they do it to somebody else, like if you and Jay get into it and you, you know, you say, well, Jay, you know, you stole that pen from the bank or whatever, so you a thief. And then he'll say, well, you done took pens from places too. So, <laughs> but, and then he'll say, well, it was my bank. So that makes you a thief since you took it because <laughs> the bank was mine. So that makes you a thief. It's not because you take a pen from somewhere else that you're a thief. It's because you took it from my bank. So that makes you even worse, I think. Okay. I, I, if you get what I'm saying. I get what, what you're saying. What, what do you? Now, the conversation, I have to change a little bit. Because <clears throat> the one, Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 2. He talks about those who accuse others when they themselves do the same thing. And he's saying what that demonstrates is that all are under sin. But... <clears throat> Now, if we take that all the way out, that means Paul couldn't have wrote the Bible because he was calling people doing certain things wrong. So it has to be some level of where somebody can be changed or transformed to the point where we can have this conversation and we can call some stuff out and we can deal with it. You understand what I'm saying? So the way I take that conversation is I have to wrestle with a couple of scriptures. One be like First Corinthians chapter six verse nine, where it gives this long list and it said these type of people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in that list is thieves. So you calling me a thief, and you a thief. If the Bible is true, I have to reach conclusion. Well, ain't now one of us going to heaven, so we both of us need some help <laughs> because it said all thieves are no thieves shall inherit the kingdom of God. So if both of us thieves. I can't say, well, you can't call me a thief because you're a thief. And so you need to understand that I'm a thief just like you're a thief and we cool. Like, no, both of us need got some stuff we need to work on because if Paul knew what he was talking about, they now want to go into heaven. So uh, let, let's figure this thing out. And then I have to wrestle with scriptures like the one she brought up, that 1 John 3, 9, where it says that those who are born of God do not continue in sin. Like, hold up. If all of us going to continue to sin every day, is the Bible true? Like, how can John say we ain't going to keep on sinning if we can't help but to sin? If you understand what I'm saying. So it has to be some level of that I can live right and I can do right and I can hold people accountable as a righteous person but not be judgmental. 
if you understand what if you understand what I mean. So I can do it with compassion and understand that one day I was just like you were. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It's like, such were some of you. Y'all was these things, but you're not anymore. So no longer are you a thief, a liar, a fornicator, and all that other stuff he said. You're not that anymore. You used to be that. We used to be that, but we were washed. So that's how he can call them out and say, hey, y'all don't supposed to be eating with fornicators. Why? Because I don't fornicate no more. Liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. John can say that because God did something to him that stopped him from being a liar, if you understand what I'm saying. So that's why I turn the conversation to. It's like, oh, you're right. So how are we going to make it happen if we're going to keep on sinning? Like, why Jesus can't fix that? And that's where the conversation will go with me. Now, people might get upset with you when you say that because you're saying, well, I ain't no Christian. And well, let's just read the Bible and see what it say. Because those words have to mean something. So if John said the people that are born of God don't continue in sin, I need to wrestle with that. And when that person comes to me, we need to wrestle with that together. Do you understand? That makes any sense? Or that creates some more questions? I was trying to get them to understand that, I, you know, you can't. Because a lot of times I talk to them about a lot of things that they go through. It, and it's like, well, I, you know, I don't like you know, such and such Sam over here because this is what he does. And I was like, well, you know, you do the same thing. Well, but he did it to me. I was like, but what's the big deal? Well, when you do it to me, it's a thing. I said, but if you can ask forgiveness, he can ask forgiveness. Well, he still, that's what he still is. It's like I have to put a label, a title on this person. And yeah. that's how I see that person, no matter if they say they sorry to me or they say that they prayed or asked, you know, pray together okay. with them yeah. or whatever. So they what you're still with, title people and don't. What you're dealing with is, is, is a hard-hearted person. And so now the conversation turns to because if it's different because they're just because they did it to me. Mm -hmm. Now what I got is, is bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. And now the conversation goes to the words of Jesus when he says that, hey, you forgiven to the same degree that you forgive. And so you, you turn it into a counselor session. You try to get them to see that. Hey, if you can't forgive that person, if you can't show mercy, God won't forgive you. Because just like you feel like that about them doing it to you, you did it to somebody. Mm -hmm. And they might do it the same. And you did it to God. Now, what if God feel the same way about you that you feel about these people? Yeah, because I told them, um, I said, well, God forgives every day. He don't look at your past and bring it to your future. Or he don't uh, hold you to this. If you you know, ask for forgiveness and you change your ways and you, you know, starting to do something different. And, and, and it does take some time for a person to change and it don't, they don't change overnight. But if they're doing better, or, you know, moving a different kind of way or whatever in the right way, then, you know, you shouldn't hold them to that. Well, if they do it to me and they go for you too. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, so they, they <laughs> you know, like wow, I, I can't, I, can I get yeah, through You can't move past if, that. If, if God because their heart is hardened towards the fact that it don't matter what God say. Mm -hmm. This is how I feel. Mm -hmm. And ain't nothing going to change. So with that, you beat up, you encourage, and you pray. Because okay. <clears throat> there ain't no reason no more. It's, I don't care. They did it to me, and it ain't nobody going to do me like that. And if you can point them to the scriptures, well, let God ain't forgive you if you think like that. Oh, well. <laughs> Ain't nothing you can do with that. You can love them. Be there, support God. Show that light. 
and hope that one day God break through and they see it. 